0: Hi, this is Always Carry a Body Bag, a true crime podcast, among other things, and we'll get to that in just a second. I'm your host, Dave Deluxe, and sitting here with my co-host, Lauren Riot. Hello. Supermom, witch, podcast enthusiast. I mean, she knocks him out. She'll listen to five podcasts a day.
1: But you didn't tell us anything about yourself.
0: I I did. I said I was Dave Deluxe.
1: You are such a fucking Scorpio. (laughs) (laughs) So this is our first time doing a podcast together. I did a podcast that I never released one time. We don't need to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: It's in the archives.
1: It's in the archives of my brain. Uh, So what are we trying to do with this podcast? What do you want to do with it?
0: I want to hit you with the local stuff. I want to hit you with stuff people can fill close to home we're from california we're both cali kids
1: cali kids cali (laughs) kids
0: cali kids i'm sipping on a whiskey water right now so that might happen again get it and cover some local stuff cover the paranormal cover some aliens cover conspiracies. conspiracies yeah definitely and just get it going today's gonna be a really good one think we're starting off with a really cool person
1: we really wanted to cover bay area stuff and then also dave is from southern california am i allowed to say where you're really from or is that too too much information we can keep it socal
0: i'm from southern california i'm from a town about 30, 45 minutes east of L.A.
1: Inland Empire.
0: I.E. represent.
1: So we have a special interest in things that happen close to home for us. We'll be covering other cases that have happened in the U.S. and abroad. There's some really cool ones in Canada. And when when I say cool, I mean horrific, like Willie Pickton. And there's a couple of other really gruesome Canadian cases that we might want to do. There's some U.K. cases, some Australian cases. Uh, At least one Russian one that I would really like to do but we also want to like talk about the stuff that happens here We have a lot of really interesting things that happen here in California and a lot of times there's there's a cool SoCal Bay Area Connection, in fact one of those we're doing today.
0: Yeah, the connection being the five freeway Yeah, (laughs) About a five hour drive depending on how fast you drive
1: The connection being that anyone from here goes there and anyone from there comes here today We're talking about One Bay Area, fully Bay Area case, one Bay Area adjacent case, Um, both cases of cannibalism. For this one, I did the research and some of it Dave knows and some of it he doesn't know. A lot of it I tried to hold back so that he could have his own shocked reactions to things and we could get the hot take fresh off the info.
0: I think that's going to be the thing of this podcast is she has about 15 pieces of notes in front of her. 18, 18 pages. pages of notes. I know some of it, but she's just gonna hit me with a story and I'll react and give some of my input.
1: And he's really creepy, so it'll be interesting.
0: Yeah. Today <laughs> we're doing <clears throat> Dwayne Wallach, a Richmond resident, who had a bit to eat, but it wasn't food. It was grandma. It was grandma. Yeah. I mean I mean I guess you can call it food.
1: No, You can't.
0: If you no, it's it's Grandma Ruby.
1: Hopefully, he didn't eat too much of her. That just sounds really awful. Let's get into it. Yeah, let's do it. it. All right, stop looking at my notes. No cheating.
0: I I just seen the title (laughs) name.
1: (laughs) On June first, twenty twenty, police arrived at twelve eleven Club Court in Richmond, which is in California, to find Dwayne Wallet covered in blood, straddling his ninety year old grandmother Ruby ripping her flesh with his hands and eating it. This case made international headlines. Basically, like if you Google it, you'll find that everybody ran the same story in the first two days after the case, but then nobody ever followed up on it and there were never any details published about anything. One of the cool things about this case is that despite the fact that it's really obviously emotional and probably the Wallach family is... Grieving and angry and shocked and the media probably contacted them incessantly for their opinion. None of them ever said a word about Dwayne to the to the media or anyone else as far as I can tell, which is so solid because whatever happened, we don't you know, if, if there's somebody doing something bad, we don't turn them over to the cops. We don't turn on our own people. I just that was something that really struck me about this case was that his family didn't say a word about him, good or bad. And that that's the kind of praxis that I like to see.
0: We don't turn in our own people. And Richmond is for the most a blue collar town. And mm-hmm. so a lot of people, Oakland, Richmond, don't like want the to like the, <laughs> we don't co- like the cops like like the cops want to be put on blast, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't you don't want that so you keep it to yourself. You don't publicize, you don't go in front of the news or anything. And I understand. I mean, if something like that were to happen with my family, I don't think we would put it out there and give interviews or anything like that. They're like, you keep it shut. Yeah, and whatever
1: happened. This was out of character for Dwayne. So this was a total shock. And if something happened where I lost it and there was some horrible tragedy that was either my fault or I was involved in it, I would be really upset if somebody was talking about me, especially before a trial, especially to the media who, you know, it seemed like they wanted the story of the cannibalism. They didn't want the story of the victim. It was really hard to find anything about Ruby Wallach. And it was really hard to find anything at all about Dwayne Wallach. Um, I did... I did look into the family as much as I could, I pulled public records, I looked at social media, and I tried to do all of it in a really respectful way, because like I said, these are our neighbors, and so even though we're gonna talk about this case, it's like, it's a cannibalism case, it's like pretty gross, um, it's really shocking, I like I still want, and I want to talk about all the gross stuff, but I do want to have some level of respect for our neighbors who are still in this ongoing tragedy.
0: Yes, definitely, it's still on trial today, he is still in prison.
1: He's in jail. Yeah, he's in county jail in Contra Costa County. The Contra Costa County inmate locator isn't as... Um, it doesn't provide as much information as the Alameda County inmate locator. So when we do Alameda County cases, we'll get actually probably a lot of details. All you can get from Contra Costa County is really like, yep, we got him. So, yep, they got him.
0: Yeah, so not too much details on his case. Other counties, you can look it up. You can get their residents. You can get... You can what write happened? People letters. Anything. You can write people letters, yeah.
1: You can put money in their commissary. But this,
0: it's just kind of blank. There's not really much about it. But we got as much as we can here. We're going to fill your ear holes with it.
1: All right. So, not a lot of public records are available about Ruby Wallach. She was age 90 at her time of death, she was a Pisces. She was born February 21st, 1930, so right before the Depression. Her niece, Glenette Wallach, described her as a devoted Marvin Gaye fan, a talented gardener, a great peach cobbler baker, and nurturing to those she loved in a short memorial piece on the local news site, Richmond Confidential. She just sounds like the sweetest nana.
0: That does sound like a really sweet grandma.
1: Yeah, and I found a picture of her, and she had this cute church lady hat on and a big smile, and she looked like a really warm... Caring person. It sounds like their family was really close. When I did a cursory social media check to see, I found um, I found this Glenette's page and um, and another relative with the same name and. You can see that the family stays connected and that they're close. And I don't recommend, like, stalking them or anything. But I just kind of wanted to get a feel for the family since there's so little in the public eye. The unnamed niece who found her and Duane and made the 911 call described her as highly functioning, which is kind of a gross term when you're talking about disability, but that was the term that she used, and it probably makes sense to people in some kind of way. She was expected to live several more years. She had a a little bit of issues with her vision, uh, and she used a walker to get around the house. But she was generally in good health and she did go out with her family members.
0: I mean she was 90
1: but she was 90. Still
0: saying good health for 90 is awesome.
1: Yeah, it seems like she was still really with it. Dwayne lived with her and he was her caregiver. He had no known psychological issues and no criminal history. They lived in a two-story, three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bathroom rental, which is now currently for sale on the border of Elsa Bronte in Richmond. It's on sale for $650,000. I looked it up on Redfin, and it's really cute. It's a. It's got a two-level, and it's got like a family room and a dining room with a chandelier in this really cute garden.
0: Do you but, want to peep it? It might be on Zillow.
1: Yeah, it's, I'm sure it's still there. Twelve Eleven Club Court. Uh, unfortunately, whatever garden was there when avid gardener Ruby Wallach was there, that's been that's been redone. They've redone the garden. Maybe I'm the only creep that would want to keep her plants. No, but definitely. I would want to no keep her plants. We're
0: sitting around probably 15 different plants as we do this podcast.
1: Yeah, and I actually have some plants from dead people. Yeah, they're still
0: alive. The plants are alive,
1: (laughs) yeah. The people are not. The people who planted them are not. Ruby had lived in this house for quite some time, like a couple of decades. She lived there with her husband and he passed away. And a couple of years ago, Dwayne moved in to care for her. He was her caregiver inside the house.
0: Really good nephew.
1: I mean, it sounds like it. There isn't any information about their relationship, but the fact that he lived there to, to care for her says to me that they were probably close yeah and I don't I don't think there's any reason to believe that he was there because he was some you know shady ne'er-do-well character who couldn't get it together which I think is something that the media might imply but there's no information that makes that seem
0: trying to snag checks or anything like that I don't It didn't think seem so. like him
1: and the rest of the family was very involved so I don't I don't think that he was I think that their relationship was probably good and this was really shocking. Dwayne is 37 years old. He's about to be 38. He's an Aquarius. He was born February 16th, 1983. On June 1st of last year, June 1st, 2020, just after we started locking down for quarantine, Mm -hmm. the story came out. On June 1st, Ruby's niece came to pick her up and take her out and found her bleeding on the floor of the family room with Dwayne, who was covered in blood. I tried to find a transcript of the 911 call, but I couldn't find that anybody else had requested one, and it takes about ten days. When the police arrived, they saw Dwayne quote straddling his grandmother and quote actively pulling out her flesh with his hands. Police spokesperson Sergeant Aaron Pomeroy, which now, thanks to you and Kian Peel, I can only read as a Aaron.
0: A Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> <A. A. Ron. laughs>
1: Aaron Pomeroy said that in 26 years these were the worst injuries he'd ever seen, which is quite a feat in Richmond. I think I've told you before that I had an EMT acquaintance in Richmond who would talk about the murders that he came up on all the time. Back in the day, Richmond was a little bit more uh, violent, I guess than it is now. It was like the murder capital of the Bay area. Maybe, maybe Oakland is, but if, if oakland was then richmond was a close second but richmond was known for these grisly murders like he said that he had come across a double or triple murder where the bodies had had their throats slashed so deep they were almost decapitated and then someone had pissed inside their necks Jeez. and you know emts are supposed to come and obviously they were dead when they got there but a lot of a lot of what happens to paramedics and emts is that you know, they show up just in case the person is alive, and then they come upon these really awful murders. So, yeah, being the worst injuries that a cop that's been on the force 26 years in Richmond has ever seen is saying a lot about w- what happened. So it was unclear if Ruby was still alive when they got there. Later, they did an autopsy to figure that out. The release of information around that is a little bit unclear. What I wanted to know when I was reading this, though, was... What was the what was Ruby's niece and Dwayne's aunt? What was she doing after she called nine one one?
0: After the niece called nine one one, she
1: you come in. Your grandma looks dead. She's lying on the floor covered in blood. Your nephew also covered in blood. And I haven't said anything about this yet, but it sounds like he had an ice pick in his hand.
0: Yeah, yeah, they mentioned what, an what ice do you, pick.
1: What do you do? Do you run outside? And I, call nine one one. Do you try and stop him? Maybe he like maybe he was eating her right at that moment.
0: Yeah, if he was, I would think she would probably wait outside and not try Get to chat picked. it up with. Yeah, not try and chat it up with her cousin who's eating grandma at the moment.
1: Right. I think the dog just farted. Smell that? <laughs> I do. That's horrible. I know.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> Hold it together. We're doing a podcast.
1: So, when the cops got there, they ordered Dwayne to stop, but he didn't. He kept doing whatever he was doing. And we'll talk a little bit about what the police say and what everybody says. But, whatever he was doing over the body, some reports say stabbing her with an ice pick, some reports say eating her flesh and ripping it apart with his hands. He didn't stop. Uh, The cops tased him, he didn't stop. They reported that he was fighting and kicking, and he was dragged out. And then he was taken to the hospital for unspecified injuries. So I looked up.
0: Did grandma fight back?
1: I don't think grandma fought back. Okay, Um,
0: self-inflicted injuries.
1: No, (laughs) I mean, maybe this is what the cops would say. Um, K News, which seems like a kind of unreliable source that's K-N-E-W-Z if you want to look it up, K news. It seems a little unreliable because the story that they wrote was very salacious. Like, mm, he was eating the flesh with his hands, and he was dripping from his mouth. And it's like this doesn't seem like a news article to me. But they reported that he was actively using the ice pick at the time the police arrived, which again made me think like, what, what, what was Ruby's niece doing while she was waiting for the cops to come? That must yeah. have been really scary. And yeah. it, there's no right thing to do, right, in that situation. I looked up. Uh, the Richmond Police Training Manual, because I wanted to know about their taser policy, because they took him to the hospital. So
0: is that how they got him off of her? Was tasing?
1: That was the starting point, because even if you're fight, even if you're still fighting, it will make you convulse, right? And it will a lot of people like straighten out like a board and convulse, and that's probably how they got their hands onto him. Mm-hmm is my guess. So I, I looked up the police training manual, and I found this really interesting. So in the police training manual, they call the taser a conducted energy device. I'm doing big air quotes with my fingers. A conducted energy device, which is this way that the cops try and make it sound like this very reasonable scientific way of subduing someone. So they're like, with the conducted energy device, we just give a little... Tap to the person who may be not having an easy time complying with our requests. And it, instead of saying, like, we shoot this gun at a guy and then it, it sends all these barbs and then the barbs dig inside their flesh and then we use those to like electrocute them. <laughs> you know, they try and make it sound like maybe it's not so bad. It's very reasonable. It's very scientific conducted energy device, not TASER.
0: TASER is actually an acronym.
1: Yeah, do you remember what it's for?
0: I don't. uh, (laughs) Electric rifle something, but it's actually... (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't, but I remember electric rifle.
1: Yeah, and you know, uh, the only reason that I ever remember that is because Taser never... Every time you put in Taser into a phone or a computer, it comes up for autocorrect. It comes up as the wrong spelling because there's no spelling. It's not a word.
0: Or it pulls up like a WWF wrestler or something like that.
1: Is there a WWF wrestler named Taser? I don't know. It seems
0: like there would be.
1: Well, if you if there isn't, and you want to be a WWF WWE,
0: I got it first, wrestler. so you can't. Be.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, all right, Taser. Taser. <laughs> the conducted energy device section says that after after the police tase someone, they have to have a medical evaluation, but it doesn't say that they have to be taken to the hospital. In fact, it doesn't even say who has to do the medical evaluation. It just says that it has to be done prior to booking and that it's only required to have a, quote, qualified medical personnel to assess instances when the person is pregnant, appears to be under the influence of drugs and alcohol, if the probes are lodged in a sensitive place, for example, head, face, neck, genitals, breasts, or if the person requests medical treatment. Which means someone has to do a a medical evaluation, but they don't have to be qualified. So literally to fulfill this policy to the T, like the janitor can do the medical assessment of the taser. I'm going to say victim.
0: I was actually listening to a podcast today and it was really interesting because it mentioned the qualifications of an autopsy expert and a coroner. And I guess there's not much needed to be a coroner. A high school diploma and good grades can uh, have you become a coroner.
1: But a coroner's kind of a cop, huh?
0: They're all cops. Yeah, they're all kind of cops. I, but, I was uh, thinking
1: it would be fun to be an autopsy technician, but the only way that you could do that and like be on the right side of your integrity is to work for a private, like a private firm that uh, works for the families when the police aren't doing their job or whatever. Mm -hmm. And even then, you're still providing evidence to put someone in jail. There's just no way to cut up dead bodies and figure out what's going on with them and still be a good person in society as it's set up, I think.
0: Have you ever been...
1: I don't want to say be a good person. That seems a little harsh. I listened to a podcast with an autopsy technician. I think she's probably like a pretty good person. But... We have a strong difference of opinion about law enforcement.
0: Yeah, definitely. I know what podcast she's talking about and
1: It's morbid.
0: Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> drop in, drop in the name. Um, but sometimes it's like, uh, that's cop favoritism or Yeah. Stuff like that. Have you ever been tased?
1: No, I've never been tased. Have you been tased?
0: I've never been tased. I've gotten close to being tased. Pulled out a taser by a police officer, but never tased because I'm like, fuck that. I don't want to a taser But my <laughs> ready thi- to
1: comply officer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah my- and
1: also, like, don't don't a lot of people, a lot of people piss themselves when they get tased. they shit themselves. They shit themselves. Yeah. Piss
0: themselves. My Theo told me a story when he was with his cousin and they were younger, and he didn't get tased, but my cousin did. I guess he's the second cousin. He's older. And he was wearing a silk shirt. And he laughs about the story every time. He's like, yeah, the cop busted out this taser and tased him. And the silk is such a light fabric, it went up in flames all around his body and stuck to his back and everything. Oh, At the oh police God. officer, my Theo had to pull it off of my cousin's back and little strips. But it just burst into flames and... Uh, I don't think there was anything that the cops did to help him or anything. I'm they didn't. Sure. They didn't fucking care. But they didn't
1: want to rub aloe vera gel on his. back? That's
0: the story. No, if my deal had aloe vera, he would probably rub it on his back. But
1: Dwayne remained in the hospital from June one and wasn't immediate re- immediately released. He wasn't booked until June fourth, which would have been right when he was released from the hospital. Which means he was admitted to the hospital for three days. So to me, that says the cops kicked the shit out of him, mm-hmm. and I bet they did. So. Whatever happened, it seems like he was injured pretty seriously. Because I've seen people get the shit beat out of him by the cops, and the cops don't even take him to the hospital at all. Oh, no. So for them to take him to the hospital, they must have been concerned about what was going to be on them for what they did to him.
0: They see somebody eating him, a person. Right. They're going to be disgusted and take out their anger and probably beat the crap out of you. They see a two- Guy conflict or anything, they'll probably <laughs> rough you up, yeah, and handcuff you and throw you in a squad right. car.
1: Yeah, I think taking him to the hospital may have started as a CYA, cover your ass mm-hmm. for them, mm-hmm. but the fact that the hospital kept him, and I'm sure the staff probably having heard what was going on, they probably had their own negative opinions, but they wanted to keep him there too. Once he was booked, his bail was set at 1.1 million. He's being held in Contra Costa County, I think in the Martinez facility. He was charged with murder. When he was at the time of booking on June 4th, he was charged with murder. No other details are available about his charges, and I wasn't able to find uh, public court records yet. But everything points to the still being in pre-trial hearing. His last hearing date was in November, November 10th. And with COVID and all the court delays and everything, he's probably Two not, months ago. Yeah, that's just a hearing date though. So they would probably be talking about whether or not he was fit to stand trial or what type of evidence was going to be allowed in the trial. It's going to take a long time to like pick a jury, decide what evidence is allowed. Did he confess? We don't know any of that. That'll all come out on trial.
0: And I know everybody's probably thinking of laughing about this but it wasn't bath salts let's just
1: it wasn't bath salts. let's just get
0: this out of here i remember hearing about this and that was the joke from a lot of friends and when lauren brought up this thing i was like no i don't remember that case and she started talking a bit more about it i'm like i do because everybody was talking about bath salts and joking about them
1: right well there was the Uh, bath salts case in 2016 in florida Yes. So well when he we I mean we don't know if he was on any drugs yet because toxicology reports will come out in trial or at least in pre-trial. The police assumed that he was on a synthetic stimulant, which is bath you know, quote unquote bath salts are a type of synthetic stimulant. They they just assumed that, but they don't have any evidence of it at this point that they've released.
0: But they don't really make you eat people. I mean, <laughs> you can smoke bath salts right now and I bet you're not going to eat somebody. Like, that's just.
1: What if it's like one okay. in a million and a million people do it and you're just the unlucky son of a bitch that eats somebody?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the Florida story. That's, that's the that florist, one. That's that, that one poor person. guy.
1: So, well, we have another drug cannibalism case.
0: There we go. Florida. <laughs> no, Florida. Florida. LA. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: So the police haven't released any toxicology reports, so we don't know if he was on any drugs, but he didn't have a criminal history of any kind. It does seem weird that he would be. I'm just guessing. But it does seem weird that he would be on enough drugs to murder someone. Uh, An autopsy was performed to determine the cause and time of death and whether or not Ruby had died before he began to eat her. The results of the autopsy haven't been released, but the murder weapons were determined to be a knife and an ice pick. And I want to know why people still have ice picks.
0: Where do you get an ice pick?
1: Where do you get an ice pick? and, And what are you using it for? Basement lobotomies, chipping away blocks of ice that the Iceman brought to your house in 1950.
0: Grandma probably still had that sign-up list for the blocks of ice rolling through her pad. I think,
1: I, I think Grandma probably Grandma Ruby probably had an ice pick.
0: Had an ice pick, yeah. And
1: didn't get rid of it. But again, it, wouldn't it does seem strange that it was readily available because she couldn't have been... I mean, may, maybe someone was using it for something else.
0: And we don't know that it was specifically an ice pick. That's just what the cops say. It could have been a kebab skewer, which looks like an ice pick. Ice picks could be, you know, the hook with the handle. I've seen people carry...
1: A longshoreman's hook? That's, yeah. That doesn't look like an ice pick.
0: Well, that's they're what really they used to fat. move ice back in the day. You oh, know, when right, right. Off but those truck, are ice hooks. You can stab hooks. it and you can hold it.
1: Those are ice hooks.
0: Okay, so that's an ice hook and you know there's who an ice was, pick.
1: Yeah. You know who was killed with an ice pick?
0: Everybody, and I know what you did last summer. Oh, really? No, they were killed with an ice hook. That's, that's uh, what we're...
1: Well, you know playing. who was killed with an ice pick? Who? Leon Trotsky, and he deserved it.
0: Oh, shit.
1: Oh, shit. Ruby was buried at Sacramento National Cemetery in Dixon, California. That's a military ce- cemetery in the state capitol. I would assume she's beside her husband, whose name is William Wallach, which sounds a lot like William Wallace to me, the Scottish freedom fighter. Hmm. Uh, I looked up William Wallach in the public records, and strangely, there were so many William Wallachs born within a few years of 1930 that lived in Northern California th- that had military service. I couldn't be sure which one was her husband, and I couldn't find their marriage certificate to really pin him down. So I don't know anything about William Wallach except for, I think he, I think I was able to confirm he died uh, a couple decades ago.
0: Did you say a cemetery at the Sacramento Capitol?
1: The, the state Capitol? Sacramento National Cemetery?
0: It's on the grounds of the Capitol?
1: No, just Sacramento is the state's capital.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's actually
1: technically in Dixon, but Dixon is right there.
0: Oh, okay. I just meant for
1: people unfamiliar with the layout of California, our state capital. A lot of people think our state capital is either here in the Bay Area or in L.A. because that's where they think everything happens, but Sacramento is our capital.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's, It's an odd place to put a capital. But back in back in the back in the day, yeah, yeah, they changed our capital.
1: Benicia is in the Bay Area. Benicia is a tiny, tiny little town near Vallejo, which is going to come up in our next story that we're going to cover, our next Bay Area cannibalism story. So I wasn't able to find an obituary for Ruby, and I think that her family didn't put one out because of all of the press coverage, which is really sad to me because I think Ruby would have had a really sweet obituary.
0: But like we were talking about, they're just not that much about this. They didn't bring it out to the public. No obituary. They, they kept didn't it private. didn't do anything. Yeah.
1: I, I think that's cool. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really cool. In fact, they kept it so private that it made me feel kind of guilty just digging into all of it. Like I was prying into their business. I did want to talk briefly about what supernatural thing could make a person or what cryptid could make a person who had a really normal life and was a really normal person just go ape shit and eat their grandma. Demon
0: and possession.
1: You're going with demon possession.
0: Demon possession. They found a magic amulet and put it on and started eating people.
1: Uh, I'm gonna go someplace weirder. A rougarou. There was a rougarou in Supernatural. I had to look this up. I didn't memorize the episode. I don't of Supernatural. know what a rougarou is. I'm gonna tell you. In season four, episode four of Supernatural, there's this dude. He's like a normal dude. He gets infected by this thing and he starts eating steaks rarer and rarer and then raw and he's like eating raw ground beef compulsively and he's doing everything that he can do to like not kill his wife
0: that sounds delicious
1: yeah so far i'm on board except for the weird compulsion to he feels the need to eat humans and he's trying not to um in any case the uh the boys the supernatural boys sam and dean find him and i the way i remember it Uh, he hasn't eaten a person yet and so they're really conflicted on what to do like do we kill him do we let him live because he hasn't done anything bad but he's going to and in this case I think it was inherited like he, he was like activated or like there was a family infection or something I can't remember and then I think what happened was as he was desperately trying not to kill his wife she cut her finger on something and he like put her finger in his mouth. I'm like, that was it. He had a taste for blood. And it's had the to, taste. yeah. Then I put him down. Uh, a Rougarou. So Supernatural does their weird thing where they pick a, a cryptid or a monster that has a whole mythos and they, it's almost like the writers Google it, like Google a monster and then kind of quickly skim a Wikipedia page and then make up their own mythos for it. Kind of
0: doing the uh, X-Files thing, like a monster of the week.
1: Right but they don't right. stick cool. with the classic mythos of a thing. I think they just make it up. Basically, they're like this would be cool and fit with the show, which is really fun to me cuz I like all the monster things and then they do something that I won't be expecting cuz I know the real mythos of it. But I didn't know about Rougarou till Supernatural. And so I'll just tell you really quickly from a Wikipedia page on Rougarou. It comes from the fr- it's a French werewolf and it comes from the term Lougarou. Lou is the French word for wolf. L-O- Wolf. L-O-U-P. So hopefully I'm saying that right. I'm never going to pronounce French things correctly. I'm only sort of going to try. But the Rougarou came to the U.S. in the uh, French Louisiana area the the mythos of it there are all of these like creole and cajun stories about a rougarou or as they also say a It's both are correct and interchangeable and the french story sort of starts with like the violation of lent rules like in france if you don't observe lent for seven years in a row you turn into a rougarou and i think in louisiana it's like if you if you yeah, it's just if you don't follow the rules, then a wolf will hunt you down and then infect you or something. Or maybe the Rougarou com- comes and gets you. But mm-hmm. in French Catholicism, the you turn into the Rougarou.
0: They're all just ways to make your children behave and be scared.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and, l- and, and listen. Convince people to not be into cannibalism, <laughs> I think, is like to make that considered socially bad. So I'm going to skip all of my other Rougarou stuff because it's not that interesting. And we're going to talk about... Big Lurch.
0: um yum yum yum.
1: So, do you want to say anything about Big? You were listening to Big Lurch before we started this. Do You want to? Any
0: I was listening to Big music? Lurch when she mentioned she was talking about Big Lurch. I pulled up Spotify and started listening to some Big Lurch. Texas, Bay Area dude, bounced back and forth for a little bit. Still locked up. Will be Great. locked up probably. We'll he's got a real low chance of an up. appeal. Is he? He's free.
1: No, no, no. He's locked up.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: No chance of an appeal, pretty much.
0: Who got into a bit of a pickle in an apartment complex with a few people? Again, she knows a bit more about it. I know. He knows
1: nothing. I know everything. I know.
0: Yeah, she has (laughs) the fifteen pages of research in front of her, but I just know from bullshitting with friends about Big Lurch and Big Lurch, how cool he was of the. The horror rap genre.
1: Horrorcore.
0: Horrorcore. I think horrorcore is more of a new name, but Uh I know horror rap from like, I'd say Brother Lynch Hung. That's that's another horror rapper. He's got some stuff. He does.
1: Right around this time that this was going on, Brother Lynch Hung was like probably the musical artist that I listened to the most. Mm -hmm. And then, this is April 2002, and my first child was born in December of 2002. And it was right around my third trimester of my pregnancy that I stopped being able to listen to things. It was like one day I was listening to Brother Lin Chong, and he talked about like sticking a gun inside the vagina of his kid's mom and shooting her. And I was like, I maybe don't want to hear that right now while I'm trying to bring a life into the world.
0: To one of my favorite rappers, Dr. Octagon, also of the rap genre
1: yeah but you could listen to him he's like got the he's just weird
0: it is just weird it uh and
1: it's entertaining weird
0: also a bay area ish rapper too a lot of a lot of rappers in the 90s created albums in the bay come from new york or texas but if they created them in the bay or produced them in the bay they would call it a bay area album Dr. Octagon's album was produced in the Bay Area. He's a New York rapper, but a lot of people say that that album is a Bay Area album.
1: Bay Area.
0: Ooh.
1: <laughs> so let's talk about Big Lurch. First, I'm going to set the scene for you on at 2 p.m., so middle of the day, middle of the afternoon. This is in L.A. on April 10th, 2002. Elisa Allen looked out her window and saw neighbor Antron Singleton, a.k.a. Big Lurch, running down the street. He was naked, covered in blood, and carrying a human lung that had bites taken out of it. Horrified, Elisa ran to his nearby apartment where her friend, Tanisha Isace lived with Singleton, who was her roommate. She found a horrific scene. Reports say she screamed, reports say Elisa, screamed a blood-curdling scream upon entering the apartment and seeing the body of her friend. Tanisha had been badly beaten. Her jaw and orbital socket were broken. That's your eye socket. She had bite marks on her face. A knife was broken off three inches deep in her scapula, which is your shoulder blade. She'd been stabbed repeatedly, and her stomach had been ripped open. I'm not sure if Elisa could see this at the time, but she was missing a lung.
0: So that had to be taken out from... The stomach area.
1: He pulled it out from underneath the stomach. I thought it was through the chest cavity when I first started researching it, but it was her stomach. And I'll talk a little bit about it later, how the stomach plays into the Disgraceland podcast. A little bit about Tanisha. There's not a lot of information about her, which I think is really sad because she was an aspiring model. And she was really, really pretty. And it seems like she had a lot of friends. So you'd want there to be information about her out in the world, like a lasting legacy. But there wasn't a lot of information. She was born in Los Angeles, July 30th, 1980. She was a
0: Leo. Did this happen in Texas?
1: No, this happened in L.A.
0: This was in L.A. So
1: she was from L.A. and she died in L.A. So we're going to, the story starts in, starts for Tanisha in L.A. and ends in L.A. Starts for Big Lurch in Dallas and ends in L.A. by way of Bay Area. Got it. Uh, she was a mother of two children. Her children were not home at the time of the murder, and there's almost no information about them. And they are, would be young adults now, and I'd, I wouldn't want to bring them into the podcast. We don't need to know anything about them.
0: No. But uh, props to Hot Moms. Aw. Yeah. You talking about me? I'm talking about you.
1: Thanks. Tanisha is buried in Rose Hill Memorial Park in L.A., or Rose Hills Memorial Park, if you want to pay your last respects to her. And then talking about Big Lurch, because he's the one walking around with the lung in his hand. Naked. I fa- naked. I found something cool about the the phrase, big, the Big Lurch, while I was Googling him. There's a Wikipedia article, and it says... The big lurch is a theoretical scientific model suggested as one of the possibilities for the ultimate fate of the universe. Matter works itself up into a frenzy and forces governing the universe grow infinitely, building up infinite pressure while the density and cosmic expansion rate remain in a steady state. The consequences for time are unclear in the scenario. According to astronomical calculations, there's a finite probability of this scenario actually happening relatively soon as in as little as a few million years. I Wonder if Big Lurch knew that he was referencing this huge, cosmic thing when he picked his name. I know it was supposed to be a reference to the Adams family.
0: Is that what he? Because th- that's what I thought. Because he's
1: six foot seven.
0: Yeah, and his
1: was... actually. So when he, when you listen to recordings of his voice rapping, his voice kind of matches that six foot seven. It's like really deep to that, like you know, mm-hmm. you like think a person has like that deep gigantism sort of sound. But when I listen to an interview from prison, from the prison phone, his voice sounds like normal you wouldn't guess he was as big as he is he's really big
0: yeah he's he dropped bars over the prison phone and turned that into albums he did yeah they recorded albums live from prison I or know just that. just took his lyrics off of the prison phone and put it into music
1: what album is that or how is it released i
0: don't know what album it is but mm-hmm. i know that he recorded music from prison off the phone
1: that's cool. I yeah. saw his lawyer was also the owner of his record label. And that lawyer, owner, producer, released an album after Antron was in prison.
0: That's hella cool. And
1: changed the name of the album from what they had agreed on. Well, is, is it hella cool? The, the relationship between them is not friendly at this point. And I don't think he's ever seen any royalties from it. So That's not cool. That's not cool. Let's talk about Antron Singleton. He was born to Patricia Ann Walker and Alfonso Singleton, September 15th, 1976. He's a Virgo. He was born in Dallas and he grew up in the East Dallas Frazier Projects. He's, like as I said, 6'7", a uh, nice deep voice. He has said in interviews that his parents, that he, or excuse me, that his father moved to, to the Bay Area and lived in Vallejo and he would come out here to the Bay Area and stay with his dad and go back and forth between... Here in Dallas, he started making a name for himself rapping in the late '90s and came to the Bay Area to work with producer Rick Rock and formed the co- the group Cosmic Slop Shop with Rick Rock and Dooney Baby. But they weren't they didn't ha- they didn't get into a groove as a group and they ended up breaking up after they released their first album, which a lot of people have said wasn't that great. I didn't listen to it and I'm not gonna state my opinion. Or if I did listen to it, it was probably back then and I don't remember. They, Their album was called The Family um, But they broke up shortly after Big Lurch worked with uh, Mac Dre, Too Short, E40 Mac Mall, he has a lot of really good things To say about Mac Mall, look I typo there I see you okay, looking at it Because okay. of Brother Lynch Yeah, I accidentally put Big Lynch in my notes but yeah, he has a lot of good stuff to say about Mac Mall. He says he says that he owes him a lot, and he still like hypes him up when he's oh, giving shit. interviews. As recently as 2017, after he was in the Bay Area, he went to L.A. That's when he started switching his style to the horror rap horrorcore. I just really like the the word horrorcore because it's super hard to say and awkward, and there's no way to it's there's no way to say it and sound like you're not just being like Hor, horror. In the year 2000, while he was visiting Dallas, I think it was for his grandmother's funeral, he was back home, and it was also his birthday. When he was driving back from his 24th birthday party, he was hit by a drunk driver, which caused severe injuries, and he had a broken neck. Ah. And he had to go through rehab. He was temporarily paralyzed, and he had to go through rehab and everything. I mean, he had to learn how to walk again.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and he so he had a lot of pain from that. And it's said, and I'm saying it's said because... A lot of sources say this, but he says that this is not true. It's said that he was using PCP to manage his pain from the accident. When we get into the interview that he gave, he says that he only used PCP one time. And that was the time that the murders happened. So he was said to use it for ongoing pain and then to begin using it recreationally. There are a lot of sources for that. They're all news media sources. It could be what the police say. You know, it's hard to say for sure. I figure the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. He admits to living in a dope house. He admits to running dope. He admits to having a a lifestyle that involved a lot of drugs. He was also said to smoke wet smoke joints dipped in formaldehyde
0: cools
1: <laughs> what else are they called do you know
0: sherm yeah.
1: no sherm is PCP.
0: sherm is P C P. but
1: formaldehyde joints the formaldehyde when it's smoked has a similar effect to pcp
0: oh, okay okay so
1: and here's another thing but like PC-
0: when people say that no i didn't use pcp yeah you can do crack you can smoke meth you could smoke weed but PCP is a step up. PCP and,
1: is a step up. And
0: I've heard of the craziest shit, breaking police handcuffs and stuff like that.
1: Throwing a refrigerator was one I learned in EMT school.
0: The, the woman it, who pulled the stop out, sign out, out of the, the, the street. Yeah, on PCP. So if somebody were to tell me, yeah, man, like...
1: I only used PCP once and I happened I, to cannibalize somebody, <laughs> but it was just the one time. Yeah. But... Well, here and here's another thing about that. He says he only used the PCP one time, but a psychiatrist who testified for the defense in his trial said that he had a mental impairment from ongoing PCP use. It's But again, it's tough to say because he says a lot, he has a lot of problems with the way his defense was run. The defense brought up a psychiatrist who said that he had a mental impairment from ongoing drug use. This was a part of their insanity defense
0: when your psychiatrist gets brought into court all the confidentiality terms get dropped and it's, they can yeah, say all that stuff but so but if I, he I admitted don't think psychiatrist
1: to psychiatrist knew him like it's just somebody that was brought in to consult with him one time for the defense it wasn't like he had oh
0: it wasn't an ongoing
1: yeah like so, my
0: psychiatrist coming in
1: correct I want to talk a little bit – we're going to get into a little bit of the conspiracy theory around his case before we get into what really happened because he gives an interview in 2017 talking about his case where he says he only used the PCP one time, that he was set up, and all these things. And it's rumored, and I haven't – I looked and I didn't find any evidence that this is is true, but it was rumored that Carolyn, Tanisha's mother – I can't remember her last name. But Tanisha's mother was going to testify on his behalf and say that she thought he was set up and then she wasn't allowed to testify in the trial. Oh, wow. I couldn't find anything about that. It is said that she didn't think it was entirely his fault, but she did name him in a wrongful death lawsuit.
0: The dead girl's mother. Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: In any case, he... So according to his interview, this is where it gets a little bit tricky because I was trying to fit in his his take on the interview into what I already had as like so-called established facts about the case, what the papers say, what the judge said, what the mm-hmm. lawyer said. He, but he says that when he, after his accident, he says he didn't say anything about himself using PCB. He said that after his accident, a few record a few record labels out west in L.A., took it upon themselves to, air quotes, help him. That was his way. He's like, they said they were going to help me. Like he was implying that they weren't trying to help him at all. A label in LA, Stress Free Records, encouraged him to come out West and they'd give him a platform. He said after he was there, their quote, gang colors came out. And there were a lot of Crips in the studio and he wanted out. And he also had this whole, like, I'm from the Bay Area. Like, I don't, I'm not down with Crips. He got blood. Yes. And he felt like it was really fucked up that they put him in that situation where he was, like, in the studio with a bunch of crips. He said that there was, like, a lot of, like, crime and drugs and people rolling in a different way than he wanted to roll. It's
0: a Groucho Beta LA story.
1: (laughs) He said that he wanted out, and he actually left LA to go back to Texas to get away from it. But then he was really worried about having tension with the label. And I'm going to go ahead and guess probably... If he's saying if, if it's true that he felt like there were all these like crips in there and that that was tense, that was probably a part of the tension too. not just like maybe this record label won't like me, but like maybe these dudes might not like me, which that comes up in what's going on for him in prison now. So he left back to Texas, but then he changed his mind, agreed to honor his contract and work with them. He said that the trying to smooth over the tension and his proximity to all of the drugs and everything. And again, he admits to running a dope house. Mm -hmm. The proximity to all the drugs, which I assume he means like harder drugs, made it so that he felt pressure to go out and smoke Sherm with these dudes. Sherm being PCP.
0: Pressure's a bitch.
1: And he kind of implies that it might have happened more than once. But then he corrects himself and says he had never previously gotten high on PCP. But other rappers and people from the label got him to smoke PCP. And then he says he woke up two weeks later with no memory of the events. A dead body at the house. Like, quote, his quote, a dead body at the house. Because I think that's a really nasty way to refer to somebody. That it was was it was, She was his roommate. They lived together. And he's, like, talking about a dead body at the house. That's, like not like my dead roommate or like this person that was a friend died and it was very tragic it was just like i had all these problems i woke up and i had a dead body at the house that's really insensitive we'll get into his insensitivity too Uh, and so he woke up two weeks later with a quote dead body at the house and his life shattered but other sources say that he was known to you know wet smoke and smoke pcp that he had had previous episodes of weeks-long, you know, week-or-week-long PCP blackouts before. Mm. And who knows if he was really blacked out. For two weeks. For two weeks. I guess I don't have a lot of experience with PCP. I tend to be really skeptical of stories of blackouts, because the only time that people talk about stories about blackouts is when it really conveniently works to get them off the hook for something crappy that they did.
0: On the next Always Carry a Body Bag, Dave and Lauren Try PCP.
1: (laughs) Alright! So... One of his complaints in the interview is that he says that his lawyer promised he'd get him off on an insanity plea, not guilty by reason of insanity, i.e., could not have had any understanding of right and wrong in the moment. And uh, and he implies that his baby blue nose pit bull attacked Tanisha, and he describes her body as having been gnawed on. She also had a knife in her scapula. Let's not forget, I don't think a pit bull can put a knife in someone's shoulder. You don't know
0: how many times I've been stabbed by a pit bull. <laughs> Where I come from. <laughs> pit bulls stabbing all over the place.
1: I'm staying out of the IE <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't come to the IE. Get stabbed by a pit bull. Or a Chihuahua.
1: <laughs> so his lawyer again, his lawyer was also his producer and also the owner of the record label. His uh his lawyer his name was Milton Grimes. Or his name is Milton Grimes. He's still a lawyer. He was Rodney King's lawyer when he sued Los Angeles. Did that, you know that? that?
0: No, I didn't.
1: Yeah, and he has a history previous to this of running a lot of like mental health, like insanity type either pleas or pleas for a change in the verdict or a change in the sentencing. He's like done a lot of these insanity mental health cases. So he had told... He had told Antron that he was going to get him off on an insanity plea. And, that, and Antron said that Grimes told him that he had to make the case seem really, really bad. And so he's saying that his lawyer went into court and made it seem way worse than it was. So he says that when they, when they tested his stomach, they only found one tiny, tiny little pinch of flesh, his words, tiny pinch of flesh, in his stomach. And then when they DNA tested it, it was his DNA. And I wasn't able to confirm that with a court with a court record.
0: It was like a bitten-off cuticle or something from he, like the... He was
1: saying something about, because it was being digested by his body, the DNA that they picked up was his, but it was this tiny sliver. And mm-hmm. he said, you know, I don't remember what happened. Maybe they were trying to humiliate me, and they took my face, and they like shoved it into the wound, and I ended up getting some in my mouth. But I didn't like eat a person. And so that's what he's saying is that he thinks he was set up with all of this. That they like got him high and blacked out, killed this girl, set him up for this horrific murder. Which fits into the horror rap genre that he was in. So either potentially for publicity or because they didn't fucking like him. When he showed up and was like, I'm not really that cool with Crips.
0: That's the hard thing when you have several albums stab stab eat flesh
1: Hannibal Lecter Hannibal Lecter Jeffrey Dahmer
0: and then this happens and you're like no I I, wouldn't do that I would never
1: so he says basically Grimes set up his defense to be really fucked up which I find interesting because Milton Grimes is a really well respected lawyer
0: I understand the technique though
1: making it seem worse for the insanity plea yes but see the thing is yes. you don't have to make the case seem worse for the insanity plea I don't know if that's really true or if he's just saying like oh they made it seem really worse than it was because with the insanity plea what you want to prove is that a person had a break with reality but In the end, there was a California law passed in the 1990s that prevents the use of an insanity plea if the person was using drugs or if the insanity occurred, the break with sanity occurred due to drug abuse or addiction. The deputy district attorney argued that and the judge found in favor of that. So he wasn't allowed to do it. And he's like, and Big Lurch is saying i had a really good lawyer he's this really good respected lawyer he should have known that that was the law and so he set me up he i think he does have a case for and well here's the other thing he said i have a bipolar diagnosis and he grimes knows that because he picked me up from a mental hospital from a psychiatric hospital more than once and so he knew that i had a bipolar diagnosis But it was never introduced in court and when they said what is your evidence for a mental illness he never presented it in court So that's one of the reasons that he's saying Grimes set him up.
0: It's just like Fantasia when Mickey Mouse puts on the wizard hat and Everything just gets out of hand and worse and worse and there's a bipolar disorder coming out There's like
1: a 21 year old girl with two children was cannibalized.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: you know, and yes, whatever happened, whether he was lucid and did it, whether he was not lucid and did it, whether he was set up, she's gone, and his, his life is essentially forfeit also, and that's also tragic. Mm-hmm. So he says that he didn't introduce that, and he knew that that was the only real thing that would work in an insanity plea was that he had a psychotic episode as a result of bipolar disorder. So he I think he if, that, if that's true, Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. There's records to prove it. Then he would potentially be able to say that he wasn't properly represented. And he could theoretically get a new trial. But he says that no lawyer will touch his case because it's a cannibalism case. He says that the stigma just follows him everywhere and no lawyer will take him on. I don't know if that's true. Because lawyers are kind of shady and opportunistic as a group of people.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. They want that one big break case that I and you've got lawyers like f lee off.
1: bailey he loves getting people off of crazy charges
0: mm-hmm.
1: he also says that he hasn't gotten any royalty money from the record label and also he says he has to quote fight all their boys in prison and he that had made it clear that as a six foot seven rapper with the cannibalism charge and like all of this beef with these la crips that he's just kind of fighting his way through prison. and In, he, in an article from 2013, it said that he had been in solitary, solitary confinement for four of the last five years.
0: Yeah, you get in fights in prison, they'll throw you in solitaire.
1: So he says that he's having a hard time in prison, but he has, quote, G homies in the bay holding him down. We do have G homies here that, that hold you down. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. This they is got a good place. They, they got your back.
1: The I felt like the most interesting thing that came out of that interview is he starts going on a trip about, this is on VladTV.com, it's a, there's a YouTube of this interview. He compares himself to Jesus, and that this is like his, this is A of all his cross to bear, but that he's like nailed up on a cross, and he's this big murderer or this big martyr due to his perceived status as a cannibal he says he's not really a cannibal interestingly some of the reports that were from fairly legitimate sources I say fairly because the media is not that reliable say that the lung that he was carrying around was half eaten so I don't know how we've got a half eaten lung and only a pinch of flesh a tiny pinch of flesh in his stomach but he feels like he's he says god does everything for a reason and i'm learning through this but he really feels very martyred or he that's the the what he presents
0: it's funny how prison brings out the god in a lot of people
1: Mm, because it's really convenient
0: (laughs) yeah i mean nothing else you can read the bible and get in touch with your god and ask Mm. for forgiveness or whatever
1: Another thing that he brings up about his trial and being, presents as evidence that he was set up is uh, he had at least one dog, the Blue Nose Pit Bull, in the house. And he said it was a dope house and there were all these drugs. And he said, how come the cops didn't report that there was a pit bull? And he he didn't outright say his dog attacked Tanisha, but he kind of implied it. He was saying that her body was not on and sounded like maybe there was one other dog but it was kind of unclear the way that he was saying it he didn't he he did that thing where he was really vague booking mm-hmm. in the interview so i think he wanted people he wanted to give an impression and have people fill in the blanks in his favor but he said that the police didn't report anything about the drugs or the dogs in the house at the and didn't come up at trial and he's like if i if i was so you know terrible and all this stuff why didn't they like talk about the drugs in the house
0: from cops fucking with people in the past they bring up everything they can to get somebody and why not yeah bring up that
1: and then he repeatedly said like i'm not a snitch and i'm not snitching and this isn't snitching but then he also he also was like i don't know if it's snitching to kind of say basically that he thinks that these people set him up but at the same time, he's like, what's the line? What's the line? If pe- Can people set you up and then you just don't even say anything? You just take it, and go to prison for the rest of your life. Like, what's the line about snitching? And I think that's an interesting conundrum because the thing about snitching is that if you end up in a position where someone's going to hurt you for snitching, whether that's in prison or like in the streets or whatever, you're just going to be in catch-22s all the time. Like, someone's going to be mad at you all the time once you're in those situations.
0: That's the thing from being like tied into that life or growing up in the barrio are going up in the hood you got like snitching's not cool and i've heard family members and friends and stuff that just can't snitch on a cousin or can't snitch on a friend or something like that and they do five to ten they do 15 years and the other person's free and the free person's very thankful that they didn't snitch and tell them. Yeah, I'm sure they're very them, thankful. Tell them. <laughs> okay. Hey, thanks for not doing that. You saved me. And uh, then they
1: give them a bouquet of flowers and a box of chocolate. They
0: send him a bouquet. They'll... Buy him some Top Ramen or whatever. (laughs) Buy him
1: some Top Ramen from the commissary. Buy
0: him some Top Ramen, yeah.
1: So going back to what is more on record, unless this conspiracy theory about how he might have been set up by this record label. And when I say conspiracy theory, I don't mean government conspiracy theory. I'm talking about a secret plan from, you know, between a group of people to do something illicit. So going back to the trial, Tanisha's boyfriend, Thomas Moore, who was a friend of Big Lurch... Antron Singleton. He testified that they had been smoking PCP the night of April 9th. So that's the night before. In one news article, it said that Tanisha returned to her apartment on April 10th to find Singleton still messed up on PCP. And in another, it said that Tanisha was home and Singleton banged on the door to search the house for more PCP in a rage. In the Disgraceland podcast that I listened to, there's a creative recounting of the psychotic episode leading up to the attack that I could not find any confirmation of. He basically does this reenactment that I felt like was either borderline or like fully racist of Antron going off on a psychotic episode and thinking that the devil was in Tanisha's stomach and attacking her and trying to cut it out of her. That story doesn't really jive with the forensic evidence with her body. And then also, there's no way anyone could know that because Antron himself says that he woke up two weeks later and doesn't have any memory of the event. And Tanisha's dead. So how could he have figured out that what Antron was looking for inside her body or what he said beforehand? And also his story doesn't include the beating that broke her face. Her, she broke her eye socket, her jaw, and her neck. Yeah and does
0: does he drop any like my source for today's story was brought to you by oh okay
1: I think maybe in the beginning he says a couple of sources but yeah I don't I
0: see that's what you got to do on a podcast people all the ones we listen to and all the ones
1: you're snitching me out for not saying what my sources were but I will say what they were
0: we can say that (laughs) afterwards it's no biggie
1: so, yeah, I, Jake Brennan, I didn't like his retelling on Disgraceline. It didn't offer... I listened to it because it's only 30 minutes. You can listen to it and see what you think.
0: I've listened to it. I told I'm you. T-
1: I'm talking to the people. But, oh, yes, sorry. Yes. yes, I know you listen First to it. First
0: podcast, there's only two of us here. I forget she's, we're talking to other people.
1: It's probably better if we're talking to each other. But, but also, yeah. I just wanted to say, like, anybody who's listening can listen to the Disgraceline podcast. You can make up your own mind about it, but...
0: Last thing about the Disgrace Land podcast, there's a Motley Crew one on there. That's pretty good. And, yeah. And it gets it's straight taken to with the a great dirt.
1: great salt based on this Disgrace Land it's one. I mean,
0: we're we're not going to fight or argue. <laughs> oh, I
1: think we're arguing. Oh man. It's going down.
0: The Disgrace Land, but there's a few of them on there that are pretty entertaining. And from what I remember is that he does have fact checkers and yeah, drops the but name of literally how could stuff, you get those but, facts? It
1: just it was very yeah. salacious, too. I'll just say, you know, not trying to talk shit, but this was like a, a 21-year-old mom was murdered. And there's like screams, fake screams playing in the background. And it's presented in this way that is really exploitative. Tremendous. And it's over-dramatized, but it's exploitative of her death. And when I, oh, that's what I was going to say was that... When I looked it up, I looked it up to listen to it because I saw somebody say he described her last day. And I thought, finally, I'll find some information about what was happening for Tanisha. And I thought I would read, she dropped her kids off at school in the morning and she ran an errand and she worked a part-time shift or these things about her life. No, it was, all of this wild speculation about what happened to her before she died that was done in this really just kind of gross way like imagine you know I'd hate to I honestly I'd kind of hate to think of her mom listening to us talking about it because we're so distant and it's probably so close to her but imagine listening to that being about your best friend who was murdered with the fake screams in the background and the dog barking and this white guy imitating what he thinks a black horror rap artist sounds like when he's in a psychotic episode and it's just very yeah. it was just i mean maybe his other podcasts are, are good but i didn't feel like there was any value to this one
0: that's no i i've listened to a few of the jake brennan Disgracelands. lands like he does a lot of country artists he does spade Cooley. he does
1: all right all right it's not day. an ad for Disgraceland. land let's move on <laughs>
0: okay yeah let's move on
1: <laughs> okay so what is known and agreed upon is that she was horribly beaten before being stabbed and having her torso ripped open. Antron's stomach was pumped and found to contain her flesh and organs. That is agreed upon by everyone. It is agreed by most sources that he took about two weeks to really come to. Again, I think that's subjective. A person can is as lucid as they say they are, or not lucid as they say they are, right? Like, he could have come to—he could have always been lucid and then been like, Whoa, wait, what? I'm in jail? But maybe, you know, maybe. I don't know how long a PCP blackout lasts.
0: I've never heard of any blackouts lasting for two weeks. Like, I've heard of right. binging and, oh, this shit kept me up for two days, three days—
1: I've also never heard of a bipolar psychotic episode lasting two weeks either. Mm -hmm. That's an extremely long period of time to be in a manic episode. Yeah.
0: Again, next podcast, Dave and Lauren try PCP.
1: We're going to try PCP. We'll see Mm -hmm. if we can trigger a psychotic episode.
0: Yeah, I'll call in to work for two weeks.
1: I've got two goats in the backyard. If we get cannibalistic, (laughs) we should just head that way. I'm just kidding. I would never eat my goat. If you eat your goats, that's fine. Just humanely slaughter them.
0: I mean, they're probably going to be sacrificed by us for some reason. No, they're
1: helping us live deliciously. Not by eating them. I
0: was like, yeah, nothing's coming out of them. We're not getting meat.
1: We're not getting milk. My goats are pets. So anyways... The, people generally agree about the something about the two weeks like he didn't really seem to be with it there seems to be some agreement there Milton Grimes his lawyer oh I, well I already said this he has a history of using mental health claims with his defendants he represented a woman with postpartum psychosis who ran over her young infant with her car amongst other things He's, he represented a guy who raped and killed an 8 year old another guy who killed two people and then after his, his mental health defense confessed later you know when he was not at risk of double jeopardy or whatever confessed so like i just bur- brutally murdered them
0: and they all got off
1: well i don't know if they all grimes they didn't is... get off <laughs> 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 uh,
0: they
1: they're i think depending on who it was like their sentences were changed their verdicts were affected but i think all of them did serve jail or prison time
0: if i needed a lawyer and they went through the last names grimes would be the lawyer that i would pick
1: grimes like elon musk's wife the mother of the weird character named child the antichrist child i don't know
0: what the
1: richest child in the world because elon musk is now the richest man in the world
0: he's the richest child (laughs) he's the richest child he's the the richest child in the world that's
1: insulting to children So anyway, so they, they tried to run the insanity defense. It didn't work. Big Lurch was found sane when he beat, murdered, and cannibalized Tanisha, he says. Uh, he stood trial in late 2003, and a jury in Comden deliberated for less than an hour before finding him guilty of murder and aggravated mayhem. Judge Morgan sentenced him to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In 2004, after his conviction, Milton Grimes his lawyer, producer, and record label owner, released his previously recorded songs and changed the planned album name. I couldn't actually find what it was originally supposed to be. There's a blank spot in my notes. But they changed it to It's All Bad, which was a song track, if I remember correctly. So it became the title Mm -hmm. track It's All Bad, which makes sense because everything about this is terrible. After his conviction, Tanisha's mother, Carolyn Stinson, there's her last name that I was trying to remember. Carolyn Stinson, which I can't believe I didn't remember it because Stinson Beach is one of my favorite places.
0: Where's Stinson Beach?
1: It's a little north of here. You want to go?
0: Yeah, let's go. It's
1: foggy and cold. It's not... It's a northern California beach. I'm down. So Carolyn Stenson filed a wrongful death lo- lawsuit naming Singleton, Tanisha's boyfriend, Thomas Moore, stress-free records, and death row records, arguing that the record labels encouraged and facilitated his drug use, and they did that to propel his career and image, leading to her daughter's death. She also argued that his reputation was based on violence and murder, and that the record labels had el- essentially, tacitly encouraged the murder of her daughter.
0: No way. Big Lurch had music on death row
1: no he did not have music on death row so uh, death row records skipping ahead it would now called the row the case against death row records was dropped pretty quickly because there was no connection between death row records now called the row really and yeah and suge knight actually had to come out and say like look we have nothing to do with this cannibal guy (laughs) 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 this is not us
0: Oh, Suge Knight. That'll be another podcast. And he, yeah, Suge was, Knight's...
1: I don't know. I think he may have still been in prison at the time that this even happened. Mm-hmm. But I don't... We gotta be careful who we do these podcasts on. I know. <laughs> Suge's gonna knock down. out the
0: door. Hey, man, that would be... Like, Suge Knight was like a feared person. He was really big. And big Lurch. That's like... That would be like a celebrity death match or something.
1: Well... I, I feel like it's a kind of a boon to Big Lurch's career that Suge Knight even had to say anything about him because he wasn't mm-hmm. very well known.
0: It's like, oh shit, Suge Knight said shit about me. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so in the lawsuit, the lawsuit, some of the paper from the lawsuit, I'm not sure where it was found. This is from a, a news article that, that quoted the, I don't actually know the name for how civil lawsuits work, but they said in the lawsuit, part of what makes a gangster rap artist marketable is the fact that the artist is a current ongoing participant in violent gang activities singleton met this criterion and was even more marketable because his songs were as violent as his lifestyle and included rape murder and ended with him eating his victims bodies organs or body organs the lawsuit alleges singleton used a quote sharp object to remove body organs from and eat them these acts were performed within the course and scope of his employment with the other defendants it added the lawsuit didn't get much traction and pretty early on death row i already said this because you asked pretty early on death row now known as the row was dropped from the lawsuit because they had no ties in his interview on vlad tv where he talks about having been in the hole it timeline kind of coincides with he talks about being in the hole and why and the timeline coincides with that four years of solitary confinement He said that there was this short-lived TV show called Drugs Made Me Do It. It only made two episodes, and one of the episodes was about him. And it has a reenactment. So I didn't watch it. I don't know exactly where to find it. I think it might actually be on Amazon. He was really upset about it. He gave an interview for it, and he didn't know they were going to call it. Drugs made me do it. It was kind of presented to him this way, and he felt like they really exploited him. He was like, you know, like, that's a TV show and everything, but I'm a real person, and there are real consequences in my real life for what you do with my image. When the show came out, apparently the guards hassled him a lot about it. And he's there's a lot. If he responds, he's six seven. If he responds with any type of aggression, you know that those guards are gonna take him down. And when just you know giving him the benefit of the doubt, when you start getting beat up, especially by cops, you don't even realize that your body is moving, whether you're swinging or trying to get away or trying to cover yourself up. All of that is resisting. If, if you do you that, know, it's, to it's going to
0: be resisting. <laughs> right. According to that, it's going is to hit you harder.
1: And then they're going to throw you in the hole, which is what they did to him. So who knows how aggressive he was. He really feels like he has to fight in prison all the time, it sounds like. And then he was also featured in a documentary called Rhyme and Punishment in 2011, which has all kinds of rappers that were convicted of different things. Immortal Technique is in it. I didn't oh, even shit. know Immortal Technique had been convicted of anything. Yeah. Well, so did he we get have to watch that. Some anarchist shit? Probably something cool. Yeah. Either something cool or, or something fake is my guess. Mm-hmm. Not to like, you know, no heroes or whatever, but I don't know, Immortal Technique's kind of
0: cool. Immortal Technique's <laughs> badass.
1: So I just wanted to, I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about PCP because I had a lot of questions. How do you black out on PCP? How do you black out for two weeks? I actually couldn't find anything to substantiate two week long blackouts online. If anybody who is listening can substantiate two week blackouts, I really want to know. I really want to know. So PCP is a hallucinogenic dissociative drug that comes in the form of white crystalline powder. It can be snorted smoked or injected usually people smoke it they usually mix it with weed or tobacco mm-hmm. and smoke it i actually i said i hadn't smoked pcp i think at the beginning of this i accidentally smoked pcp when i was 13 or was i 12 i think it was 12 just before my 13th birthday eight, eight, i ran away from home time I, on
0: the streets yeah i got, i ran yeah, away from home yeah. and i got
1: a pcp lace cigarette from some shady dudes well hey
0: th- there's one up on yeah all the <laughs> shit i talk about <laughs>
1: It was really scary. I didn't know. I didn't I wasn't in a position to enjoy that at all or understand it because I didn't know I was being drugged. So it was a pretty terrifying experience. Is it weird
0: that there's like a part of me that's like, man, why haven't I tried PCP?
1: You know, if I was gonna try it, I wish I wasn't twelve when it happened.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so PCPs also referred to as angel dust. I have never I have heard of angel dust. I have never that's what my dad called it.
0: He's smoky, it's just angel
1: dust. <laughs> It's also called and I've never heard these amp rocket fuel and then it says animal tranquilizer which like is an animal tranquilizer so <laughs> Okay, and that's also called sherm, which isn't even in this silly article, but the according to this article the psychological effects of PCP include euphoria, calmness, lethargy, disorientation, hallucinations, that I did have Uh hallucinations. I did not feel euphoria. I felt scared as shit. <laughs>
0: Yeah, those first (laughs) euphoria, calmness. (laughs) I I did not feel
1: any of those things. I didn't
0: know that. I can't
1: believe I forgot about that. This whole day I was thinking about PCP and I totally forgot about that. So changes in body awareness, loss of coordination, distorted sensory perceptions, sense of detachment, lack of concentration, agitation, combativeness, bizarre behavior, memory loss, and stupor. So there is something to back up memory loss and bizarre behavior combativeness
0: they forgot to mention super strength
1: super strength isn't in here but yeah that's something that's, that's
0: what I've heard from yeah. stories and actual people that have used PCB
1: yeah when I was in EMT school that when we did our whole section of on drugs that was the thing that they spent the most time on because they were like it's really dangerous I said earlier when we were talking that the nurse who came in to teach that section, she was a traveling nurse and she'd worked as a paramedic, and she was saying that one time she went into a house and this guy just straight up threw an entire ass refrigerator at her. <laughs> like, yeah. That could kill you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're just like walking in thinking somebody's hurt and then a boom, like an anvil in Looney Tunes.
0: <laughs> you can throw a refrigerator, but why not channel it all into like 10 cops? <laughs> yeah.
1: So... <laughs> Just kick Um, 10
0: cop's ass. Well, this says here, it says
1: later, it's not in the list. It says a person on PCP often has a strong sense of strength and invulnerability, leading them to actions that may be unintentionally harmful and dangerous. It also causes a range of, of physiological effects, such as high blood pressure, elevated heart rate, profuse sweating, flushed skin, numbness in the extremities, inability to feel pain... Pain is really useful. Blurred vision, difficulty speaking, uncontrolled eye movement, lack of body control, rigid muscles, a staring gaze, and unconsciousness. It also dilates your pupils really big.
0: Unconsciousness
1: unconsciousness like passing out yeah which you could say that about alcohol too one of the EMT stories that we talked about the woman ripping out EMT drug class stories the woman ripping out the stop sign yeah the the legend that we learned when in EMT school was that when she tore that stop sign out she damaged the tendons in her shoulder and back so badly that she was never able to pick up her head again she could hold it up the whole time afterwards until she sobered up. And then she had like a permanent injury to her body oh that God. was not, they were never yeah. able to like rehab or, you know, who knows how long the CMT followed her. But. So
0: the ability to not feel pain is probably a real thing.
1: Yeah. 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 Which is scary. Because, like, this person is able to access all of the strength in their body and they're losing their sense of what's real and what's not real. They might feel really angry for no reason and they might not understand anything that's going on. And if you have to fight them, they're like practically invincible. Yeah. Like, they can't feel anything, they have the superhuman strength. I don't want to fight anybody. It's like on kick PCP. ass,
0: but not PCP.
1: Kick ass should have taken PCP because <laughs> <laughs> he really got <laughs> fucked up a lot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's the thing, he lost his pain receptors from getting right, fucked Right, right, right. And so he didn't feel pain. I forgot so about like, that. Just hit me a bunch, I'll still get bruised and hurt from it, but I won't feel it.
1: Again, pain is really useful, though. Like, if you can't feel pain, you are like have your hand on the stove, you'll lose your hand. You mm-hmm. might lose your hand. So the other thing that people said Bigler did was smoking embalming fluid, which... I had heard of but i didn't know a lot about this article about it from my time recovery says that it can lead to poor judgment and decision making basically what i read is that it has an effect really similar to pcp so this idea that it was the first time that he was smoking pcp and he just went into this blackout he he really presented it like i was small time and these guys were big time and i felt like i had to do this thing but they were really taking advantage of me i don't know if that's true or not. It sounds like nobody else agrees with it.
0: I mean, you could...
1: I definitely think it's his truth. He really personally feels very victimized. I mean,
0: getting dosed is a real thing. Sure. Like...
1: Obviously, Not that's the only no time one. I ever smoked PCP. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and listen, twelve-year-olds don't smoke and don't bum cigarettes off of strangers in the Tenderloin.
0: Oh, the Tenderloin. Oh,
1: the Tenderloin.
0: Back in the day, Tenderloin. Now it's hipster central.
1: It's still, it's still the Tenderloin though. There's still a lot of drug use yeah. and all the the remaining SROs and single residency occupancy. They're like it's like a motel that you live in. Uh, all the SROs left in the city are still pretty much, oh, what's left is mostly in the Tenderloin or Tenderloin adjacent. So there's still, it's it's still kind of how it is. Uh, embalming fluid. You, you can't just like sh- get formaldehyde and like shoot it up. That's one thing that I learned is that as a drug, it's not that easy to take. You pretty much have to like put it on something else and then smoke that.
0: Free base it.
1: Free base it. Wet drugs including formaldehyde, have really similar effects. So this says violent or aggressive behavior, reduced ability to feel pain, blackouts or memory loss, impaired coordination, respiratory depression or failure, schizophrenic-like symptoms including paranoia or delusions, accidental suicide or self-injury due to delusional thinking. These aren't good drugs to do. When I was talking to...
0: I mean, they're not meant to be drugs. They're meant to be something else.
1: Right. Animal tranquilizers and... Horrible chemicals that we pump into dead bodies so they don't rot. Uh, When I was talking to Persephone, my 18-year-old daughter, earlier, she's like, why would you hallucinate off of PCP when there are things like shrooms in the world? And I felt like that was a really good... It's cheaper. It's cheaper. It's much safer. It seems like...
0: No, I'm saying... Oh, PCP is cheaper. Yeah.
1: Embalming fluid is cheaper? Where do you get embalming fluid? How much does it cost?
0: And to... And why do you know? I don't know, but I bet I could get embalming fluid. Oh, yeah. But the reason I think people do drugs that aren't supposed to be drugs... Is because the availability is there, and it's cheaper, and it's easier to get. If you can get something that's sold...
1: PCB is cheaper than shrooms? Am I, like, jaded because I live where shrooms grow wild in the hills? Yeah,
0: I'm pretty sure it's cheaper than shrooms. (laughs) Shrooms is like a... What are they called? Like the fancy... What are they called? Fancy drugs?
1: Is it a fancy drug?
0: Boutique drugs or... Or it's called it's called something
1: on the episode after we try PCP. <laughs> we're gonna get fancy and hip, and we're gonna try some boutique shrooms.
0: No, there's a name for them. I I'll think about it in a minute, but. I'm trying to get my phone. How much does PCP cost? You're
1: moving the chairs. My phone's right here. You can use it. Because shrooms are $35 for an eighth.
0: Yeah, I think PCP is cheaper.
1: Okay. Oh my God. Are the cops going to come to my house for these searches? How much? Does PCP cost? Oh wow, a lot of people search this. You guys should stop searching that. You don't want to take PCP. It's bad. It's really bad. Okay.
0: It's just a search. Doesn't mean you're gonna take it. A PCP
1: lace cigarette or joint ranges from five to thirty dollars, according to the Department of Justice. The powder is twenty to thirty dollars a gram. A tablet is twenty to thirty dollars a tablet. Cheaper. That's not cheaper. $30 for one tablet versus $30 for one-eighth of People mushrooms? smoke the
0: cigarette. What you were talking about was dipping it and stuff. People but smoke the cigarette. They don't do it.
1: But you have to have a powder to put in the cigarette. You get the powder from the pill. How many times can you get high on PCP off one $30 tablet versus how many times can you get high or like how high can you get off of an eighth of shroom.
0: You can probably, you probably don't need as much PCP as you do shrooms to get high. You think so? You can dip it a lot. You just dip the tip. <laughs> you did. Do you? You, you, you dip do the you? tip. You dip just the tip. Are you roll just it? Just the tip. You yeah yeah just. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Took me a minute too, and then I was like, oh yeah, I did that thing where people talk about tips <laughs> or dipping.
1: it wasn't just that you talked about the tip you said just the tip (laughs) if you're listening if you're one of the three of our friends listening to this and and you know how much pcp it takes to get high let us know and uh i think we can pretty much wrap that up before we go what are the cases that you want to cover from the Bay to LA? We don't have to pick our national and international case, but from locally, what's what's one of the ones you want to do? Or what are a few of them?
0: I definitely want to do some of California history. Like I want to do Alcatraz. I want to do maybe like some escape convicts. Some uh, Mm
1: -hmm. where do they go?
0: Historical, yeah, because they can't swim from Alcatraz to.
1: I know seventy-five year olds who can swim from Alcatraz to to San Francisco. Francisco
0: and survive. I mean, that's what they said. Nobody can swim. From Alcatraz. Yeah, but, but now but, we have but, an
1: annual Bay Swim.
0: But people did, yeah. I I I would love to do that. That would be really fun. I want to do the Zodiac Killer. Mm-hmm. Another. California classic
1: golden state killer is one I want to do
0: want to do fast-food chains another California killer
1: What about the vampire killer while well, we're doing cannibals the vampire killer of Sacramento? That's mm-hmm. local and cannibalistic sort of local Sacramento's about two hours from here.
0: Yeah that dude I want to cover of a lot of cumbersome of Oakland's like 90s crimes that yeah, bakery earlier, dude.
1: That's earlier 2000s, I think. Yeah. Chauncey Bailey was a reporter for the Oakland Post who covered Black Oakland stories primarily. And yeah, he was murdered while covering an organized crime story about your Black Muslim bakery.
0: That uh, San Leandro meat market.
1: Oh yeah, the Linguisa factory. Yeah. That's going to yeah. be a pretty short one. but I,
0: I think that might hit home. That's for my hometown. For how long I... Yeah, it hit home with you, but... For how long I've worked in the food industry.
1: I ate that sausage. And
0: and having a food... They killed a food inspector. Spoiler. That came into the restaurant, which...
1: The Linguisa Factory.
0: I've been... Yeah, Linguisa Factory. The, the Sausage King of San Leandro.
1: Sausage King of San Leandro. It was quoted... Mm-hmm. That's maybe a mini, mini episode. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely.
1: I want...
0: Yeah, what do you want to do?
1: Well... I, really, I do want to do the Golden State Killer. There I want to find, there was a serial rapist on the campus of the school my mom worked at when I was growing up, and I always wanted to figure out what that was all about, because I think they caught him, but I don't remember. I was young and just terrified every day my mom was going to get attacked in the parking lot. Um, and then there's, of course, Ed Kemper, in Santa Cruz. Yeah. There's a there's a few Santa Cruz stories there Santa is, Cruz is a like a lot
0: of Santa Cruz serial killers. Eighties Santa,
1: Santa Cruz is like the chillest town, like the chillest beach town. There's like nature and there's like and then there's this one swath of Santa Cruz history that's very dark. And when Ed Kemper was picking up co eds and, and taking hitchhikers to the Area, it turns out my mom was going to UC Santa Cruz at the same time. But by the time he started murdering, she wasn't at UC Santa Cruz anymore. So that's good. Although I don't think my mom hitchhiked. She's real proper. My mom. Dave was trying to get us to convince me to have my mom on a, a murder podcast. And I think the amount of times that my mom would say, Goodness
0: <laughs> would just really <laughs>
1: annoy everybody. So
0: what? Yeah, well, if we get my mom on here, it's going to have to be like a (laughs) three-parter. We'll we'll open up that chest. I don't know if y'all are ready for it. Oh, Christopher Dorner.
1: Oh, Christopher Dorner. Yeah, we're talking about L.A. A hero in
0: our eyes. For sure.
1: Yeah, Chris, Chris Dorner. Listen, Killed I him. don't. I don't have any heroes, so I won't admit to him being like a hero. But this is a like the only veteran I want to thank for his service, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, Chris Dorner. I just really want to have like a. I want him. I want him to be a legend.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, and
1: in the way that like people think he's still alive,
0: a a tilted, yeah, yeah, he no mention of his body in that cabin that burned down by the cops being found or anything. Because they were scared. Yeah, they were they were so scared. He, uh, but it's
1: hard to imagine that they that he wasn't in there and they burned it down and then he didn't keep on killing cops. I mean, he just use it as his getaway. Yeah. yeah. Card. Did
0: he have like an underground tunnel I don't think to so. there? No, that's mm. wishful thinking.
1: Yeah, and I I want to cover another Bay Area case that I have some personal connection to is Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, and I would like to.
0: Was he a Bay Area cat?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. He he was. I don't know if he's like technically from the Bay Area. I actually don't know a ton about the Ted Kaczynski case. You'd think that I. That's not would. the shoe
0: bomber, right?
1: No he was the Unabomber, he yeah. mailed package bombs to people, okay. but he had a political agenda so it was a little bit different than just wanting chaos and mayhem and then we had another mini minisode we can do was we had a bomber in San Leandro and this disgruntled employee put a bomb on his boss's porch just like five or six da- houses down from my best friend at the time when I was in elementary school. And poof, oh, blew, wow. blew up the whole front okay. of the house. I think only one person died in that bombing, but it was a big San Leandro deal. So, yeah, those are some of the things we want to get into. And then, of course, you know, the, the John Wayne Gacy's and the... They, those have been done to death, but I still think that we have a different take on all of it. And if you like our take or you just don't really like cops... Maybe that's enough for you to like the yeah, podcast. Yeah,
0: I think our take will definitely hit home with a lot of for people. For some
1: people, other true crime fans are probably gonna hate us, and you know that's
0: fine. no, that's totally fine, and Just we don't we don't we don't want to to podcast for those people. But if you're listening, we hate cops, <laughs> and we want to do the right thing with people, race, humanity. If you're racist yeah don't listen if you're racist don't listen if you're racist unless you're like one of those
1: people that's like trying to be less racist and you're actually trying then you can listen as long as you keep trying but if you stop trying stop listening we don't like you yeah 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 Yeah, it's not and it's not just about the cops it's about the whole system being fucked up it's about you know i'm really into true crime because i'm very fascinated by the ways that we hurt each other but but not because I wanna hyper fixate on how we're all in danger. And again, I love the morbid podcast with the like fresh airs for dead people and don't help people and stuff like that. Like that's not really my thing. But we're just that's an agree to disagree situation with me and me and morbid. I think we should be helping each other, and the fact that we don't is one of the things that leads to all of the horrible things that we do to each other. So I find those fascinating, but I find them fascinating from the perspective of the system create the system creates monsters that it then pretends to fight and you know i don't know how much we'll get it and ever get into the politics of that but just know that you know even if a cop does a good job at catching somebody we still don't like him because you know what the next week he was evicting somebody's grandma so he can go fuck himself so anyways
0: yeah yeah and and like we were saying no races listening listening to this podcast and just throwing percentages out there, if you are racist and you're listening and you people of color are this way or that way, this is a true crimes podcast and the highest percent of serial killers are white people.
1: White men.
0: White men.
1: White women can be very, very terrible and generally are. And my best friend has a really beautiful um, expression for white women, mm-hmm. white women violence. She calls it emotional white women's emotional ultraviolence. hmm but, uh, but yeah, it's white men. We are going to talk about lady killers, though. I love lady yeah, killers. Yeah, I definitely want to get ha- down. I don't think we have a lot of lady killers in the Bay Area, but I want to talk about them. I want to talk about Lorena Bobbitt.
0: Yeah, yeah, lady That's, killers.
1: She is someone close to a hero for me, but no heroes. There we go. I'm a good anarchist. So...
0: No heroes, no managers. No, <laughs> all cops are no bastards. all cops are <laughs> bastards. Yeah.
1: No gods, no masters. So, uh, anyways, you can sort of we sort of just right before we did this created some social media you can find us on twitter at uh aca body bag and then on instagram at symbol aca body bag and you can write us at aca body bag at gmail.com and if you write me and stuff i'm not gonna read it i'm just gonna delete it and if dave reads it he's not gonna share it with me if it's nasty he's just gonna delete it and i'm not gonna share it with him so if you have something to say say it in a way that, you know, I want to read during the day on my cell phone while I'm playing with my kids. Think about that. But, you know, whatever.
0: Alright, I think that covers it. Taking my
1: 80 pages of notes. Thank you I have a margarita. 80
0: pages. Get my drink on. I've been getting my drink on. Bye.